popular podcast host Joe Rogan has endorsed Bernie Sanders for president. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bernie Sanders said that's terrific, and what's a podcast? <laughs> that's pretty funny. So Joe Rogan has got one of those popular podcasts in America. He kind of barely endorsed Bernie and that he said hey, he's just having a conversation about politics, which he doesn't follow that closely and uh, or talk about that much in, you know, in, in the detail of like cable news. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I kind of just kind of like Bernie's authentic. I mean, he just he, he seems to really believe what he's saying and everything like that. And he he had Bernie on his on his podcast as a guest and actually got to sit down and have like an hour plus conversation with him. And that's what he's basing a lot of it on was when I talked to him one to one. We really hit it off. Yeah. <laughs> and he's getting killed by so many people for that. Joe or Bernie Joe or both? Well, Joe both Rogan. actually. Yeah. For yeah. for for just saying, for just saying, yeah, I kind of like Bernie. He seems to be the real deal. Wow. Okay. Whatever. Oh well, yeah, and he's insane. And so the knock on Joe Rogan, of course, is the reason it's troubling that Bernie is being endorsed by this podcast guy. How this even becomes a story is beyond me. But uh, Joe Rogan once uh, said something about, you know, there's a good reason they have male and female MMA, that it separated men and women. Oh, yeah. Because women just don't have the strength. Oh, no! Misogynist Oh, hate. no! He said something anti-woman, and he's endorsing Bernie. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Oh, my God, really? Oh, they went there? Absolutely. That's the oh. connecting the dots. Oh, well, for God's that sake. And the, uh, he's very outspoken about the whole guy becomes a woman becomes a professional fighter and and just pummels other women for several fights in a row. It's horrific. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. the reason that there's a difference between women and men, yes. Yes. physically. And uh, you're not supposed to say that. And uh, Bernie is getting the, has been, they're trying to tag Bernie with the misogynist label, as we saw Elizabeth Warren try to do. And so there you go. There's your, your dots that are connected. Yeah, let me find, see if I can find this uh, story. There was an editorial written the other day. And Iowa is Monday, and Bernie, there's another poll out in which Bernie's got the lead. God dang, dang it, that's going to be exciting if he wins Iowa. There's a... Uh, I'll hit you oh, with, Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, while you're looking for that, I can yeah, hit you with right. this. There's a, an article in New York Magazine from a guy who's a solid Democrat, um, a lefty, writing about the dangers of Bernie Sanders getting the nomination. And uh, and getting some uh, blowback, but it's in New York Magazine. A guy named Jonathan Chait running Bernie Sanders against Trump would be an act of insanity. Not a, a joke. Lo- and it's a long article explaining how his policies and this and that are so unpalatable by so many people. And he brings out some of the polling and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's getting killed well, by his own crowd that he usually writes. So how dare you say that? Right. Well, and I will tell you're you you're going to hear a lot about that on a uh, Tuesday if Bernie wins Iowa. And this this is the great contrast between socialism and the free market. At first blush, socialism sounds great. But the more you dig into it, the more you realize, oh my god, it's it's terrible, it's awful, it's enslavement. The free market, it takes people a while to understand how it works and why it works so beautifully. It's a much more difficult sell if you only have a quick drive-by chance to communicate the message, which is what most of politics is. It's just shouting a slogan from a stage. Um, But so, yeah, the more you look into Bernie, the more troubling his his proposals become. So, yeah, he'd be a disaster. Well, he runs through him. He said, no no party nomination with the possible exception of Barry Goldwater in 1964, who who got 
the, the worst loss in U.S. history at that time. Although McGovern was close. Has put forth a presidential nominee with the level of downside risk exposure as a Sanders-led ticket would bring. To nominate Sanders would be insane. Um, and he goes through the positions that are completely unpalatable to America. Replacing all private health insurance with a government plan. Banning fracking. Letting prisoners vote. Decriminalizing the border. Giving free health care to illegals. Uh, eliminating ICE. None of these are winning issues in any state. Right. To him. Right. You know, we and got, again, he's a lefty writing this. Yeah. Well, we got this email from uh, Josh. I seem to remember you guys giving the corporate media the business for getting Trump's election chances completely wrong. Yes, we did. While we tend to agree on most things, I believe you guys are really underestimating Bernie's chances, assuming the Democratic Party doesn't sabotage him. Well, wait a minute, Josh from SoCal. We've been talking over and over again about the Democratic Party is going to sabotage him in unprecedented ways. It's going to be like the Normandy invasion. It's going to astound the world. Um, Yeah, so there's no uh, assuming they don't. They're going to. Although the WAPO has this article this morning saying uh, the Democratic Party. What's the uh, specific headline? I have it right in front of me. Uh, Sanders surge worries some Democrats, but they fear a push to stop him would backfire. Yeah, that's That's what we call a rock in a hard place. Yeah, Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That'd be exciting to watch. Yeah. Uh, This guy, although Josh goes on to say, now having uh, put aside that misunderstanding, um, I recall Joe mentioning that Trump seems to be most worried about Bernie in the last election. Well, he talked about that, actually, because he understands that Bernie harnesses a lot of the same energy that, that Trump does. Yeah, a lot of the unhappy working class voters, uh, they could go Bernie's way instead of Trump's way. They were two sides of the same coin. It was yeah. it was those two who were packing NBA stadiums with people in 2016. Yeah. Uh, he says, speaking for millennials everywhere, Bernie's genuine belief in what he preaches is endearing and really soothes the deep-seated cynicism that the younger generation has in their hearts. Uh, so much so, I expect voter turnout among the 1835 crowd to be at an all-time high if Bernie is the nominee. Well, I would agree that's probably true. Um, and he's he's saying if Bernie is a veep would be awesome because that would mobilize the uh, the youngsters. And he signs off SWFBCATY, still waiting for Bernie to clear away the throat yogurt. Josh in SoCal. Um, yeah, that's some pretty good reasoning, Josh, but we'll have to see. I'm telling you, to say the Democratic establishment is concerned about Bernie's surge is is like saying I'm concerned about the grizzly bear that's running at me at 30 miles per hour with its fangs bared. I'm more than concerned. I'm terrified. I've filled my drawers. <laughs> I'm thinking about Jesus and all the people I should have said I'm sorry to at that at that moment. And that's the way the Democrats feel about Bernie, too. Yeah, good. So it's more of a visual than an audio. I kind of wanted to play it, but uh, did you see the guy who uh, found out what his watch was worth on Antiques Roadshow? I did. And fell to the ground. That's a pretty fun video. So he bought this watch for $345 back in 1974, which is, I don't know, adjusted for inflation. It's probably a pretty dang expensive watch in 1974 for a guy that was in the military. Anyway, it turns out it was a month's salary. Turns out to be a rare Rolex. It might be worth a half a million dollars. And when they told him that on Antique Roadshow, he just fell to the ground. <laughs> well, yeah, he just cold falls over backwards. Well, he oh, there he is. He's he's got the long hair and the beard of the hippie. He looks like but one of the Duck Dynasty guys. He bought yes. the thing. He bought the thing because he'd heard Rolex was good for scuba diving. But then he thought, no, this watch is way too pretty for scuba diving. So he put it without having ever put it on his wrist. How did he in not- a safe deposit box? 
and he, just kept it there. He he didn't pay much attention to the watch world because that's like one of the most famous expensive watches ever. Sure. Because Paul Newman was into it, and that's one of the reasons it's famous. But right. the fact that he didn't know that was worth all I didn't I wouldn't have known it was worth a half a million dollars. It's absolutely mint, never worn, all the documents, the box, the every the packaging, everything. There he goes, he falls to the ground. <laughs> that's a bit performative. He had his hands up. I'm a warning. Falling hippie zone. <laughs> falling hippie zone. Looking at him. Now, half a million dollars is a lot for anyone, obviously. And for him, that that uh, I could see that making you fall. Sure. Whoa. What? Well, and the guy <laughs> said it's easily a half a million dollars and could easily be more like 700. Whoosh. Because of all the, the documents. Right, because it's, it's so perfect. Yeah. That's a life-changing experience. Yeah, or you could throw the watch on and impress, uh, you know, your coworkers. His retirement just got a little bit uh, more interesting. I feel. How old is that dude? That's one thing when he got the beard. Not, it looks like he's got a. T- well, he was a, a serviceman, young serviceman in uh, 1972. Well, he's got to be, you know, mid 60s, 70s. Uh, so I, the, my problem with this I show, think the that, opposite that happens on the show. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, those are funny. My grandmother kept this for. All these years, she knew it was very special. That's the family uh, story is that it's an original Pollock. <laughs> well, this is an original dime story, you rube. <laughs> well, the problem with this show, and I love this show, Antiques Roadshow. I haven't watched it for a long time, but I love it. It, it encourages the hoarder lifestyle. Oh. You don't dare get rid of anything because of that pitchy, that kitschy piece of garbage that you've had on the shelf. And you think, I don't even like this thing. Why do I have this? You get rid of it. It turns out to be, you know... A, well, this was crafted in uh, the Ming Dynasty. This little cat swiping at a butterfly, and uh, is worth probably a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although I do remember there were a couple of stories in a row that came out of people buying dumb, like ugly paintings at garage sales, mm-hmm. and there was one of the Dutch masters underneath the paint. And for a while, I got this enthusiasm for going to garage sales and really looking around to see, is there anything here for 75 cents that might have a Dutch master underneath? Well, you'd waste a lot of your life doing that. Well, that's exactly what happened, Jack. (laughs) And I moved on to, well, working and earning a paycheck for, for my money. Well, tying the two stories together, the Super Bowl is this weekend, and if you had a copy of Super Bowl one. You took the Antiques Roadshow? That would be worth a lot of money. A copy of a... What do you mean? The, like the a tape of the game. A, the audio tape? or a, oh. actual tape of the game. Mm-hmm. And somebody had one, or at least part of one. That's kind of a funny story. We'll have that for you next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Catch up on impeachment here in a little bit. Two days of questioning about to happen. 16 hours of questions with only five-minute answers. So uh, I'm glad they have to submit their questions, though. If you just pass the mic around in the audience, you end up wasting a lot of time. So, yeah, they get to ask the questions. The judge reads them. Judge Roberts. So that would add Justice up to about Roberts. 80 questions a day over two days. That seems like a lot of questions. Yeah. They have a lot of questions, Jack. And then Friday we get to the big vote on whether or not there are going to be uh, witnesses, which will be very, that'll be some high drama, man. By the way, if I was ever gifted with the old uh, visit from the genie, gave me three wishes or even one, I'd have to think about it, but I tell you what would be at the top of the list. Making it 
somehow, magically, every person who ever stood in front of a large audience to give a presentation, maybe at the workplace, maybe in some organization other than that, they would begin their speech with, Hold your questions until the end, because I'm probably going to address them. Good one. Because that is a meeting killer. Oh, I hate it. Anyway, that's what they've done in the Senate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good idea. So, um, uh, if you're a Super Bowl fan, you know it's become the biggest thing in America, and it's the most watched show every single year. Move it to Saturday. And, uh, but if you're a Super Bowl fan, you probably know there's no video of Super Bowl one. Uh, they did. There's like two plays, aren't there, that exist? Well, until now. Uh, we were just talking about Antiques Roadshow, and somebody's showing up with a watch that they bought for $345. Turns out it's worth a half a million. Who knows what you got in that box in the attic? How did this whole not having a copy of the Super Bowl happen? In Los Angeles, the first Super Bowl game puts the Packers against the Chiefs. When the game was held in 1967, nobody thought that Super Bowl one would become the event that it is today. This first meeting between the champs of the NFL and the AFL. It's disbelief, knowing what the game has become. And they did what with it? They taped over it? The first broadcast, <laughs> what every single American saw. It was actually taped over purposefully with soap operas. The days of our lives. <laughs> VHS or beta wasn't available to people at that time. Both copies from two separate entities felt it wasn't worthy of keeping and erased them. This game meant so much. And that was the case. There were no copies of the first Super Bowl until recently. Sports Illustrated had an article calling the missing tapes of Super Bowl One the holy grail of sports. Estimated value, more than $1 million. I happened to see these blue boxes. One of them said Super Bowl One. Troy proceeded to tell me how his father had taped the very first Super Bowl. His concern on his deathbed was, don't forget about those tapes. I don't think that he had any idea there was no other copy. The Museum of Radio and Television had the equipment to run these quadruplex tapes and they started playing the tape for us. We're underway from the Super Bowl. So, quadruplex tapes? It turns out... I don't out think I've even heard of that before. One format. football fan did record Super Bowl One and hang on to the tape and left it to his family after his death. It's the only known copy of the broadcast. So, that's in violation of copyright something. Well, it does... Oh, uh, yeah, he it, didn't have express written consent. It actually does go that direction. So the NFL has sued the family if they do anything with the recording. They're trying to figure out how to make any money off of it, so it sits in a vault. Oh, I tell you, Unseen. I'll tell you precisely what I'd do, uh, and I don't know, maybe this is silly, tell me if it's dumb. I would say to the NFL, I'm not going to sell it to anybody else, I'm going to sell it to you. If you don't buy it, I destroy it. Now, I'm not going to broadcast it, disseminate it, or whatever. You have, I have something you desperately want, and you are the one conceivable buyer, really. So let's come to a deal. One million, please. You're hilarious. Fifty. Okay. Well, and, and and we end up somewhere in between. Well, this is the way it played out. They did go to the NFL. To their surprise, having been told by Sports Illustrated and others that it'd be worth a million dollars or more, to their surprise, the NFL initially offered them $30,000, which they said was the equivalent of what it would cost them to sue them to take possession of the recording because it belongs to us due to copyright laws. So we'll either spend $30,000 on the lawyer and take that from you, 
and you and you'll end up with nothing, or we'll give you the thirty thousand dollars we would have spent on the list. Fine, I'm going to make a YouTube video of me igniting this yeah. tape on uh, and, and eliminating it, and that will be how I make my money. Way to read the room as usual, NFL, oh, and how yeah, this okay. plays and how this makes you look. As opposed to God, you could have got a sponsor tied in somehow. You could have given them a million dollars and paired it with Nike or something, and done and a, a big million show to their favorite and, charity and the rest uh, of it, yeah, and, but and no, brought them up no. on stage and given them a big hug and said how much they've done for football fans. No, no, you, you sh- go lowball them and try to screw them. Every franchise you have is worth one point six billion dollars. Yeah, there's thirty grand. You know, minus taxes. Take it or leave it. Idiots. Because you violated copyright laws 54 years ago. It may be your game, but it's my tape, bitches. That is absolutely, them. That is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, nice I, job. I might just, well, I wouldn't want to screw all the uh, football fans in the world who would like to see Super Bowl one. It'd be kind of cool to see. But uh, just to screw the FA, here's the tape. You know what I'm going to do here? I'm urinating on it. Now I'm driving over it. Now I'm setting on fire. Screw you yeah. and your copyright infringement. Right. Friggin' no fun league. Now it's gone, idiots. God, you can just picture the kind of guys in the meeting who came up with that decision. Lawyers and executives and And, executive lawyers. Yeah, bunch of lawyers. Nobody raising their hand. Hey, let's come up with something fun we could do. They get money. We look good. Yeah, this is an incredible opportunity. No, bunch of lawyers. (laughs) Turn it ugly. What a great story. Oh, man. What was the most important breaking news of yesterday? I'll have that in just a moment. This is a disturbing study, which we'll get to in the next segment. I beg of you, stick around. Largest study ever of fake news has determined that lies are much more effectively disseminated than the truth. Hmm. Jonathan Swift, Jonathan Swift once wrote, falsehood flies, and the truth comes limping after it. Turns out that is true, and never truer than now. Not surprising. No, it's not. It is a little disturbing. I mean, for instance, uh, this story just breaking, uh, there is a disturbing number of people who think the coronavirus is related to Corona beer. Really? A rather lame joke we've been making around here because it's so obviously dumb. <laughs> Nobody could possibly believe it. Well, um, <laughs> well, we'll just leave that there for now. But no, they are not in the least bit uh, related. Here's the most important breaking news from yesterday, and it's not related to impeachment. It's got nothing to do with how many people are going to vote for witnesses or not. That'll shake out. The most important breaking news was New York Times breaking news. Britain won't ban equipment by Huawei from its 5G network. The starkest sign that the U.S. campaign against the Chinese technology giant is faltering. Our closest ally, the special relationship, who we we share practically all of our secret stuff with, and them with us. They're our bestie. Is letting the communist Chinese government install their cell phone system. Which is just insane. Well, in, in essence, yeah. Which is just yeah. insane to almost everybody's mind. Um, Jonathan Swan from Axios tweeted out right after that, this is a disaster for the UK-US relationship. 
This cannot be said enough, said one um, uh, observer of th- these relationships. Our special relationship with the U.K. has been has to be reconsidered in light of this. Our intelligence-sharing capability is going to be compromised by this penny-pinching action. Yeah, the reason that Boris Johnson Bojo is going with this is it's so much cheaper. And um, they're under a lot of pressure to get 5G going and, and try to do it as cheaply as possible. Secretary of Defense warned that giving Huawei the green light... At the National Security Council, they said um, he told colleagues Britain should be should heed the warnings of U.S. of the United States as its strongest ally in defense and security. He is said to have described China as a friend of no one. I am astonished by this move. I mean, I'm actually flabbergasted. I'm disturbed. I can't figure it out. So much of this gear is software driven. I mean, they they're saying it's hardware to build out the network, and it clearly is, but I don't know about you, most of my computer uh, hardware runs software. Software, are you hanging with me now, gets updated, and the Chinese government, which, and there's no company in China that operates without the uh, approval of the Chinese government. The Chinese government decides one day, yeah, um, you remember that uh, nondescript five-story building in Beijing that's the center of our computer hacking operation? Well, they need to have a word with you, Huawei. And then in the year 2024, all of a sudden, Britain's communications network is utterly infiltrated with Chinese listening. It's just, it's a horrific decision. There seem to be two camps in the government. There are people that actually believe there are independent companies in China, and those who recognize that every company in China, especially the big important ones, are just part of the Chinese Communist Party. And Ben Sass went off on this yesterday in a long screed of tweets about how this is just devastating, that you're letting the Chicoms run your cell phone system right. in your country. It's insane. All that is bad enough, uh, but this was pointed out. It'll get worse if other countries see the U.K.'s decision as a tacit green light to use Huawei for their 5G plans. Think about the legitimacy that this will convey on Huawei. They can point to the U.K. and say, look, the U.S. closest partner went with Huawei. There's no concern here. Yeah. Because we've been strong-arming, trying to strong-arm every country in the world, saying, no, we will not do business with any country that has Huawei for their cell phone network. Well, once Great Britain does it, what leverage do we have? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. It could be one of the biggest mistakes in, in, in history. Well, you know, Huawei, and they have hired Americans and Brits as their spokesholes, and they say, no, we, we don't report to the Chinese government. They haven't told us to do anything. We haven't asked them to. They haven't asked us to do anything. I actually believe that. I mean, I can believe that. I, I don't know that it's true, but it could be true. Huawei is an independent company, not under the thumb of the Chinese government, in the same way that Chinese citizens are independent people, not under the thumb of the government, till the minute the government comes to them and says, so, you're a grad student at Boston University, we need you to do something. And at that moment, you ain't an independent citizen anymore. You are a subject, and you will do precisely what they say. But I don't, I don't know. Like I you got to lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. That's, Boy, that's uh, from South Park, and that could not be more true. It's one of the truest truths that's ever been truth. Unbelievable. Uh, here's a little uh, cheery news for you. Boy, we're, uh, this is too heavy. But uh, the the deficit for this year, the federal government's budget deficit for this year, is going to be more than a trillion dollars. According to the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, which is allegedly nonpartisan, it's almost unknown that deficits expand during periods of sustained economic growth. 
I am a huge fan of a number of things the Trump administration is doing. But their fiscal mismanagement is serious. But nobody cares. So, end of discussion. True that. All right. Oh, let's see. What else It will be our ruin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Israel-Palestinian peace plan. Um, it's a, it's been summarily and angrily rejected by the Palestinians, but Jack has pointed they out They said to it us, was the slap of the century. Wow. Now, that's the thing to say. Wow. The slap of the century. It's a little early in the century, you know, for me to declare something the slap of the century. But, but a whole bunch of Arab countries, Jordan excluded, uh, signed on and said, yeah, we think it's a good deal and you should take it, Palestinians. That has not been the case with peace plans in the past. Mm. There are people in all those countries, if you're old enough, you remember watching this. They all riot in the streets as soon as there's this sort of thing is flown about in Saudi Arabia and Egypt and these various places. Well, now these countries, and why? Because of a rising power of Iran. They're all scared of Iran, and they want to be on the side of Israel. So what they're basically saying to the Palestinians, and David Ignatius wrote a great column about it in the Washington Post today, and he's a Trump hater, but he said this plan might actually work because the Arab countries are saying, look, this is your best shot. And Trump, I thought, said some great things yesterday when he said, you'll get a Palestinian state. We're going to open a big, beautiful embassy right there as soon as you do. East Jerusalem. We'll we'll give you full recognition. I thought that was good stuff to say. Billions of dollars in aid. And behind the scenes, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, um, uh, the Emirates, they're saying to the Palestinians, look, this is it. This is your last great chance. Take it. It's not going to get better. Mm. In fact, you might not get another chance. Mm. So we'll see. They might do the stupid thing. And uh, and reject their only opportunity, but it's the first time they've ever had pressure from their friends to take the deal. College football coach praises Hitler. Apparently, he's in trouble for something. <laughs> I wonder what. I've got uh, I've got this sports story. I kind of wanted to get to, and it's Kobe okay. Bryant related. I thought yeah, this was really good from David French in the Dispatch. He is a um, uh, evangelical Christian man who writes a lot about that sort of thing. He's also a conservative and Harvard Law trained guy and that sort of stuff. But this, this is what he wrote. And it's on the subject of is Kobe Bryant a hero or not. We've gone back and forth with that in emails over the last couple of days. Yep. I was troubled when they opened the Grammys by saying he's a hero to millions, Kobe Bryant. Maybe it's quibbling and stupid. I'd prefer if you said sports hero. I don't mind if you say Eric Clapton's a guitar hero. I don't want you to say he's a hero. Maybe, I don't Fair know if enough. it's because I got... A brother who served in wars or what? But I just, I'm, I find that weird. But anyway, uh, what is that all about? David French writes, There are a lot of good reasons to worry about our celebrity culture. We lavish attention bordering on obsession on our biggest stars. But it's also true that true excellence can be a gift to a nation and a culture. I wondered if he was going to go there. It's a privilege to watch a great athlete at the top of his game. It's a joy to see an artist perform at the peak of her talents. Nice her there. Through in a her as well. Excellent. Good. Very inclusive. And make no mistake, it was a privilege to watch Kobe. To describe him as good, as a good steward of his considerable gifts from God, is to give him far too little credit. He brought a ferocious energy to the court. He carried that ferocious energy into a will to improve, to drive himself, to match or possibly even exceed the game's greats. To put it another way, Kobe upheld his end of the bargain. The kids in the Kobe jerseys give him their love, and he gave them everything he had in return. And as he poured his heart and soul out onto the hardwood, he was giving back what they put into him. That is a message. 
Because there are plenty of sports stars, young sports stars, they get the big paycheck, and then they just don't give a crap. And they are busts, and they go away, and it's it's really a bad message for little kids to see. You know, whether you look at it from a religious standpoint, and I actually think about this a lot. You're given talents by God, or maybe you say nature or whatever, and I think you should utilize the ones that you were given and not waste them and, and you try to maximize them. Um, I have very few uh, talents, but uh, you, you've never seen me play the spoons and juggle at the same time. It's it'd, pretty cool. It'd be helpful if God would like give you the official word what it was, because maybe I'm like the best bagpiper that's ever existed, <laughs> but I've never picked up a bagpipe. You've never sir. put one to your lips. Right. <laughs> yes, Sean? Do you juggle the spoons while you're playing them, or are you juggling oh, something else in your offhand? But to be uh, back to the serious part for a second, the uh, the idea of here's somebody who put all their effort into being good at something. I'm, I'm dealing with that my son uh, on a regular basis right now. is to just I just want you to try hard. That's all I want. Yeah. If, you, if you're not good at math or playing the cello or whatever, that doesn't make any difference to me at all. But I want you to try hard at it. And uh, I, I had a friend, I was talking to him last year, one of his kids is a senior in high school, and he said, I just want him to try hard at one thing. Mm. He takes everything, he slacks on everything. I just want him to like put effort into one thing. And it's the one thing you see with the Kobe Bryant types is like really tremendous effort into something. Right. Well, yeah, I uh, I find um, the things Jordan Peterson said about hierarchies very persuasive. Hierarchies are good. Excellence is good and worthy of respect. And people who have worked very hard to achieve it deserve our respect. I think that's a great thing. Boy, and what, what is it Shakespeare? There's some saying about unfulfilled potential that is just devastating oh, and, and, oh, and true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's the most common thing in humanity. Yeah, I remember um, I read that probably at age 16 or so, and it hit me like a brick. It's it's a, it's a number of quotes, uh, essentially, that uh, genius means nothing, talent means nothing, unfulfilled potential is more common than, you know, than, than water on the face of the earth. So, uh, yeah, you, you've got to do the work to fulfill that potential. Otherwise, uh, you're nothing. You're Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite saying you could throw the football <laughs> over those mountains. Forget it. If coach would have just put me in fourth quarter, we would have won state. Right. You weren't even the starter, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this probably does not shock anybody who spends any quality time on Twitter. Falsehoods almost always beat out the truth on Twitter, penetrating further, faster, and deeper, easier and easy now, into the social network than accurate information. With incredible consistency. Awesome. I want to hear this. Make you stop and think and probably tweet about it later, huh? (laughs) Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. that she is responsible for sending her boyfriend to the emergency room 24 times last year by secretly putting pesticides in his food. When he asked the doctor what it'd take for that, she said, the hint. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's quite a joke. Wow. It's terrible. Falsehoods almost always beat out the truth on Twitter, penetrating further, faster, and deeper into the social network than accurate information. 
Sounds like an ED commercial, but um, why? Why? What's the old Mark Twain line? Uh, the uh, a lie makes it around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. Why? Or to go a little further back, Jonathan Swift, falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. So it's been said in many centuries. And and Mike, who actually sent us this helpful link, says, therefore, a business like CNN would be better off, more influential, to pump out complete crap than actual news. <laughs> That's disturbing. Well, they are pumping out crap, and they're still failing, so I don't know what's going wrong there. That's Well, they're bad at it, apparently. <laughs> so why is this true? I'm sure there was a saying in, in, in the Egyptians had that was the same thing. It's Probably just, so. But why? Yeah, I was about to blame... Internet algorithms, but this existed way beyond or yeah. way before that. You know, I would like to say I could improve upon this piece of uh, journalism, but I don't think I can, so I'll just read you a bit of it. It was hyperbole three centuries ago, but it is a factual description of social media, according to an ambitious and first of its kind study uh, published last year. Or, uh, yeah. The massive study analyzes every major contested news story in English across the span of Twitter's existence, some 126,000 stories tweeted by 3 million users over more than 10 years, and finds that the truth simply cannot compete with hoax and rumor. By every common metric, falsehood consistently dominates the truth on Twitter, the study finds. Fake news and false rumors reach more people, penetrate deeper into the social network, and spread much faster than accurate stories. Is it as simple as if you're going to make up something, it's always simpler? Ah, Jack, you're a wise man. That is part of it. A data scientist at MIT who studied fake news since 2013 led the study said it's not just because of bots. It might have something to do with human nature. They do concede that there, with Twitter there is a technological component to it. Um, there are plenty of people who are trying very hard to spread the truth because the truth will set you free and, and, and it's, it's a good thing to know what's actually going on. But there are really, really enthusiastic people who want you to believe lies. But anyway, moving along, uh, it has something to do with human nature. Um, social scientists are alarmed. We must redesign our information ecosystem in the 21st century, said a group of political scientists and legal scholars. Um, and they're, well, they want to understand it better, and we can certainly understand that. Um, let's see. Uh, the study's written in the clinical language of statistics. Um, but to simplify it, a false story reaches 1,500 people six times quicker on average than a true story does. Oh, my God, they're expressing a fraction as a multiple. I already hate them. But (laughs) false stories outperform the truth on every subject, including business, terrorism and war, science and tech, and entertainment. Fake news about politics regularly does best. Twitter users seem to almost prefer sharing falsehoods. When the researchers controlled for every difference between the accounts or originating rumors... Like whether that person had more followers or was verified or whatever, falsehoods were still 70% more likely to get retweeted than actual, uh, than accurate news. Um, accurate news takes usually takes longer. It's always got nuance. Exactly. It's often not, real life is not as exciting as made-up stories. Right, exactly. Often. Untruths. And, and, you know, I made this point earlier. I don't want to be distracting, but I made this point earlier about socialism as opposed to the free market. You can design a false narrative about socialism that sounds incredibly attractive. 
And if people take a quick look at it, it's clearly the best way to go. The free market takes a lot more understanding to to realize why it's so fabulous. It takes a while. Um, So part of the problem is that untruths are designed to be persuasive. The truth is usually, usually not always, but often a bit more of a mess. It's a little more complicated and nuanced. The lie is designed like a torpedo to cut through the water efficiently and zoom to its target. It's unfortunate, but you're it's a torpedo just... of lies. Exactly. Hmm. Uh, fake news become a white hot political and really cultural topic. So it's so social media is just exploiting something that has always been. I mean, I was listening to a podcast oh, yeah. yesterday where uh, the smart people on there said, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we had going on in this country with polarization and uh, only wanting to believe one side and everything like that has been accelerated by the technology. It's like the technology came along at just the right time to exploit our weaknesses. Yes. And there's an old saying, sometimes a difference in degree is a difference in kind. If I can only get two cookies a day somehow, me eating as many cookies as I can get is not a problem. If I can have many pallets of them delivered to me, me eating as many as I can becomes a terrible, terrible problem. And that's why I I fear for democracy, Mm. because the ability of people who would game it and screw it for their own benefit has exploded in the modern era. And now I want cookies, so thanks for that. Uh